Pretend that someone followed you around with a video camera for an entire month, and then play back the video and write down everything you see yourself doing. So I open up a spreadsheet and I write down every single task, one task per row, and then you end up with this long list of things with a price associated to them. So the first thing the CEO needs to do is say, who can I push or delegate all this stuff off to? You're gonna take all the stuff that drains you of energy and you're gonna hire somebody who loves to do those things. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. In today's episode, we're diving into the dynamic world of business growth. As your business scales up, it's essential for roles within the company to adapt and evolve. With an increasing number of staff and tasks at hand, entrepreneurs often face the crucial decision of bringing on a chief operating officer, COO, to handle the day-to-day execution of the business. But here's the catch. The role of the COO itself goes through transformations as the business continues to grow. I'll talk about why it's beneficial to hire an executive assistant before reaching the point of needing a COO and how timing plays a significant role in determining the effectiveness of a COO. So, if you're an entrepreneur navigating the intricacies of scaling your business and contemplating the role of a COO, this episode is a must-listen. How do we distinguish between, or how do you distinguish between the the COO role, that second-in-command, and let's say the founder or CEO? Mm. So. What happens is that as a company starts to grow, and I think of it as like the ones and the threes, when you're starting a company, it's just you. You're the founder. It's just you. You do everything, right? And some things you do really well, and some things you're just not that great at. And some things you kind of don't even like doing. So you end up hiring a couple of people, and all of a sudden, there's three of you in the company. You got a couple people doing lots of things, and they're not experts but they might be a little better in the areas or they might like the areas more, but you can kind of divide and conquer the three of you. And then you get to 10 people. Your company has 10 people. You probably have one manager who's managing a bunch of people and you still have some direct reports. And that manager, again, may not have more skills than you, but they might really like the area more and they spend more time on it. And because they spend time on it, you can get more done. And it's almost like it's all good enough, right? It's it's minimum viable everything, right? Momentum creating momentum. So when you go from 10 people to 30 people, you now probably have your first management team where you have a person leading each of the business areas and those four or five or six people report to you and the other 20-ish people report to those five or six, right? That's really when you probably have your first second in command. You have a person who, if you were sick for three months, could take over and run the business for you. You have a person who is behind the scenes, your real trusted counterpart. You probably have that one person on your management team who you can sit down with confidentially say, I don't know what I'm doing, or I hate this work, or I'm super stressed. And they go, I got it, boss. I'll take this for you. It's kind of that one. It's almost the yin and yang, right? When you go from the 30 to 100 people, you now have your first leadership team of very seasoned, solid leaders of each business area. Most of them will have run those business areas for at least one other company before. And again, that's probably when you have your first COO, 
versus a VP of ops or a director of ops. But that's kind of the migration point. For anybody who's very early on in the entrepreneurial journey, kind of in the one to 30 employee stage, if you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. And the key thing you need to do before you hire a second in command is hire an executive assistant to get all of that admin work off your plate, all of the minimum wage jobs off your plate, all of the tasks that drain you of energy off your plate so that your EA can handle all of that to free you up to work on the bigger business ideas. And then when you've got too many of the bigger stuff, then you can really get the first second in command. Yeah, I love that. I had Jack Daly on the the podcast. Uh, Jack's, Jack's the guy who first said it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 so profound. So essentially, uh, and I can relate to this. You know, the exact assistant proceeds and maybe can graduate into the role, but certainly proceeds that COO. They might be able to graduate into a director of ops role, but you're, it's going to be very, very hard for an executive assistant to ever move into the C-suite and unless they've had a number of companies under their belt. It's just too big of a stretch. Or unless your company scales by 7 to 10% a year for 10 years and they can kind of grow with you. But if you're on a real rapid growth trajectory of 25% or more annually, you really need to start hiring the people that have done it before. You can't just hire for cultural fit. You need to hire skills as well. If you have ambitions to scale with purpose, why not get our new book, Simple Scaling? 10 Proven Principles to 10X Your Business, now available on Amazon. It took a combined 40 years to write and shares with you a trusted guide to scaling success. Just click on the link in the show notes to get your copy. So let's get into that. Those listening, you know, many of them will relate to, you know, will 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 either be sitting in that 10 to 30 band or the 30 to 100 band. Where do they start in terms of the process of actually, if they don't have this second in command already in place, let's get super practical. Where do they start? It's really, so Dan Sullivan, who started Strategic Coach, created a really interesting system called the activity inventory. And the activity inventory is when you sit down and you think about all the stuff that's on your plate. So the great exercise that I try to explain to people is pretend that someone followed you around with a video camera for an entire month almost like Gary Vaynerchuk, right? You've got somebody videoing everything you do for 30 days and then play back the video and write down everything you see yourself doing. I did a media interview. I booked a flight. I went to a one-on-one -on -one meeting. I showed up at the leadership team meeting. I reviewed the dashboard. I reviewed the financials. I opened emails. I replied to emails. You might end up with 80 or 90 things that you do over the course of a month, right? Every task. So I open up a spreadsheet. And I write down every single task, one task per row in column A of the spreadsheet. So now I've got all these things, right? 80 or 90 things that I do. In column B, I categorize each task in one of four ways. Either I for incompetent, meaning I suck at it. C for competent, meaning I'm okay at it. E for excellent, meaning I'm really, really good at it, but I don't necessarily love doing it. And then you for unique ability, which is the stuff I really love to do. I'm really, really good at it. I get energized by doing it. That's column B. Column C, and this is what I've kind of added to the model. If you were to pay someone just to do that one task every day, all year, right? what would you pay as the hourly rate? What would you pay to, to clean toilets? What would you pay to open emails? What would you pay someone to book flights? What would you pay someone to do speaking? And then you end up with this long list of things with a price associated to them. So the first thing the CEO needs to do is say, 
who can I push or delegate all this stuff off to? Can I get it out to an EA? Can I get it out to other people? At some point, you end up with a basket of things that you really need a true second in command to do. You're going to take all the stuff that drains you of energy, all the things that you might actually just be excellent at, and you're going to hire somebody who loves to do those things, right? I hate finance. I hate IT. But there's COOs out there that absolutely love IT and finance. So the key is how do you find that yin and yang of someone who loves to do the stuff that you're bad at and who doesn't want to work on the areas that you love? That's the starting point. I love that. And I noticed that within the book, you, you give a breakdown of that. I also like it because of the acronym ICE uh, in terms of the, the incompetence, the competence. So moving on, we've, we've now got a, an understanding and, and certainly for those, those founders, as they begin to scale their companies, they're taking on more and more and more. Taking the time to do this is absolutely fundamental to, yeah. to actually creating a level of awareness in the first instance. Well, and if, if the CEO is ever saying to themselves, I don't have time to do this deep work or this thinking work or this strategy work, it's time to hire a second in command. Yeah. Because the CEO needs to have time to think, to be strategic, to do networking, to go to the mastermind groups, to stay at the 30,000 foot level or at the top of the mountain looking at where we're going and then coming back to tell the team where we're going and then getting out of their way again. But if the CEO is spending all their time managing people or just trying to keep it all together, you have no time to really grow people. The reality is the leader's job is to grow people, to grow their skills and to grow their confidence. And if any leader is so stretched that they don't have time to really grow their direct reports, to really remove obstacles for them, to help them, to mentor them, to coach them, to cheer them on, if the leader doesn't have time to do that, then the leader is too stretched. Yeah, and something that, again, that really resonated, uh, and it's a term I use myself, you know, the, the acronym CEO, don't think of it as chief executive officer, but rather chief energy officer. And if, you're, mm -hmm. if your energy is getting, is leaking and dissipating as a result of doing things that you absolutely hate, then again, what we're saying here, this is the trigger for you to actually get it. If you're in the early stages of scaling the executive assistant, if you're in the more mature stages of scaling, then looking for for this second in command, the, the yang to your yin. Yeah, and you know what else is super interesting is there's a time period that a COO might be a good fit for your organization and might not be. So I was a great COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK from the 2 million to 100 million, but I was the wrong guy to take it from the 100 million to the billion. And then now they, they, they then replaced me with the former president of Starbucks, United States. She came in and thought, what a cute little company. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm pulling my hair out because it was so big. Uh, she only lasted a year. She was too corporate, was too bureaucratic, didn't, didn't fit. So Brian replaced her and then finally found a guy named Eric Church. And Eric has been the COO for 1-800-GOT-JUNK and ODE Brands for almost 10 years now. What's weird is, and he's been amazing, he's taken it. It actually went, after I left, it went from 100 million down to 70 million. Eric came in and took them from 70 million up to 450 million. Now, Eric as COO would have been horrible in the first six years. And the reason I know this is Eric and I have been friends for 35 years. Eric and I, this is so weird. Eric and I started a fraternity together in 1987 in Ottawa, Canada. Get this though. I was president the first year and Eric was president the second year. 
Now, I also recruited Eric and got him into a company called College Pro Painters. So we have a, so I know his skill set. Eric didn't know the the franchising world well enough to have taken them from two million to a hundred million. He wouldn't have been horrible because he didn't know how to do the things. But I didn't know how to operate a big business, and that was where he was really good. So there was a time period that you have to be the right person at the right time, and Brian talks about that as well in the book for me. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com. 